What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. Quick announcement that is important and a little odd. I don't even want to go into the details. I mentioned it literally like two years ago. Clearly, execution speed, not my strong suit. But if you are interested in a few free coaching sessions, email me at chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. The coaching could be on anything. Career, mindset, money, relationship, doesn't matter. The more varied, the better. No, I will not be asking you for money now or in the future. This is not a money thing. Also, if you've had coaching in the past, but you had problems with it, if you've thought about hiring a coach but haven't, that would be phenomenal. And trust me, you'll you'll want to be part of this. So just email me, chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Just say, Chris, interested in the coaching thing. Okay, takes two seconds. Send it from your smartphone. I don't care. I'll get you back with the information. And then if you're like, no, this is stupid, then it's fine, right? Uh, trust me, that's it. No scams, no money, no nothing. I'll give you more details. Chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. If you're interested in free coaching, have an experience with coaching, want to talk about coaching, interested in it, let me know. All right. That said, man, I'm excited to, to bring this to you. I love this conversation. It was one of those ones that truly felt like a conversation. I interviewed the CEO Technically, he goes by Chief Wagon Officer, but he's the head of Radio Flyer. Yes, the iconic red wagon that we all remember as kids, or our kids are currently using them, the CEO. 
And what's great is he is the grandson of the founder. So I really want to have him on the show to discuss a number of things. One, how do you innovate on a product like a steel wagon? How do you change a culture? Because apparently their culture was one that was entitlement. It was slow. It was passive. And they have since changed it to one that's innovative, quick. They were ranked like the top place to work. So how do you turn that around? I also want to know what lessons did he learn from his grandfather who started it, then his father who took it over? Was he scared to run the company? It's really cool. So again, our guest is Robert Passan. He is the CEO slash chief wagon officer of Radio Flyer. Now, quick side note. I have to tell you this, okay? I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Everybody knows that. Love my kids. They're awesome. Two boys. They are crazy, which I guess just comes with the territory. Point being, we have a Radio Flyer wagon, this big like plastic one. It's awesome. It has a thing over the top. We used it at the beach. Like it just, it's a really great product. And so I was talking to Robert and he mentioned his favorite product at the end. So I'm going to make you stick around. After we recorded the episode, Robert was like, give me your address. And I was like, okay, I give my address. Without any prompting, without any asking, without anything, he sent me his favorite product. It just came in the mail a few days ago. My five-year-old lost his damn mind. This thing is so cool that I actually am kind of upset. I don't think they exist for adults. If you want to see this thing in action, check out our social media page. I'm going to be posting a quick little video of my son on it. Keep in mind, I'm recording this as of August 24th, so sometime this week, Facebook, Instagram are probably the best places for that. And by the way, if you wish you would have asked Robert a question, you could if you are a Patreon supporter. I let all of our Patreon supporters know that we are going to have Robert on the show if they want to ask him anything. So for as little as two bucks a month, you go to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. We will let you know in advance who we're interviewing just a side note, we've got some great ones coming up, like uh, Guy Raz, you've probably heard of. He's going to be on the show, so you could ask him a question. You could have asked Robert anything for like five bucks a month, two bucks a month. Patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. All right, here it is. Robert Passon, CEO slash chief wagon officer of Radio Flyer on what it's like to be at the helm of one of the most iconic brands of the past hundred plus years. Enjoy. Radio Flyer has been an integral part of of my life for at least the past five years, having a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And then, of course, when I was a kid, it's just one of those brands that quietly is part of everyone's life. What is it like to go to work every day and to sit really at the helm of a company that is valued in the home by almost everyone and where they see it as just part of their lives? Well, it's wonderful. I mean, the, the stories that we get from from our fans and from families is what we really live for. Um, you know, one of the things that's so cool about working at Radio Flyer, and everybody says this when they join the company after a few weeks, they say, you know, every time I tell people I work at Radio Flyer, the first thing they do is smile. And the second thing they do is tell a story. And there are always <laughs> these wonderful stories about childhood about playing outside about using their wagon to imagine it was a rocket or 
a submarine or a race car and just really kind of all these wonderful um, aspects of childhood that are just these timeless stories that we love. I'm chuckling because the listeners don't know this, but before I hit record, like the first thing I wanted to do when I had you on was tell you my story. So I can definitely (laughs) see how that is just so common. People are like, wait, you have to know what your product or your brand has done for me or my kids or something like that. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I think that's really the, the power of the brand is that people also tend to rediscover it as they go through their life. You know, they'll, they'll have it when they're, when they are a parent and they have their, their first kids, they may get a radio flyer wagon as a gift, or they may buy it themselves. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm seeing radio flyer products everywhere. I can't believe Mm -hmm. it. Are you guys selling a lot more? And we're like, well, no, they've always been there. It's just, you you weren't paying much attention when you were a teenager and before you had kids. So That's actually true. And one thing I want to talk to you about, because when I hear Radio Flyer, I just instantly go to the wagon. Uh, I see about two or three different types of wagon and that's it. And so when I thought about having you on and we were, and I'm doing some research, I'm going, you guys have a lot of products. And well, I want to go back to the, the, the history of your company a little bit. And mm-hmm. you are the grandson of the founder. Is that correct? Yes. Were you and your grandfather close? We were, but my grandpa had uh, dementia. So by the time I was old enough to really have more of an adult relationship with him, he wasn't mm-hmm. really able to to communicate anymore. And he died in 1990 when I was 20 years old. Okay. Uh, but we grew up, uh, my grandparents lived very close to us growing up. We were there every week at their home for a big home cooked Italian meal. And so uh, that was a huge part, a part of our life. How integrated was Radio Flyer, given that it's kind of crazy to me, right? The person who started it, like it's such an old, iconic brand. I can't even imagine the the person who came up with the idea, let alone that person being my grandparent. And grandparents are the ones you go to when you want to have fun. So, yeah. you know, what was that like? Was it always around? Did it shape the family dynamic to some extent? It did a little bit, but I would say it not not overwhelmingly. You know, I think my my grandpa was a pretty modest person. Um, he, you know, his story was that he came from a small town in northern Italy, and his dad and grandpa were carpenters. And so, as a young boy, my my grandpa, his name was Antonio, learned how to make things out of wood. Um, and they were very poor. They were working class, uh, poor people in Italy. And so when my grandpa turned 16, he decided that he would head to America in search of a better life like so many other immigrants. And he landed in Chicago and he took any job he could like other immigrants, you know, very tough, you know, backbreaking type labor, building railroads and stuff like that. Um, And eventually he was able to save up enough money to rent a small garage on the west side of Chicago, not far from where our offices are today. And he started making furniture was the first thing he made. And he also made those phonograph cabinets, those old wooden Victrolas that you can picture. Um, But he also made a little wooden wagon to haul tools around in his workshop. And uh, pretty soon people were coming in buying more wagons than anything else. And I guess today we would say he pivoted (laughs) Mm. and he just focused on exclusively on making wagons. And he called that first wagon the Liberty Coaster because he was so inspired by the Statue of Liberty that welcomed him to America. Um, And then a few years later, after he started to build up this wood wagon business, 
he was visiting an equipment supplier and he saw the metal stamping technology pioneered by the auto industry. And he realized that he could apply this new technology to his product to mass produce this wagon. And so he went from wood to steel and he stamped these uh, wagons out of steel. And that's the iconic little red wagon that everyone thinks of. Mm-hmm. And uh, this move earned him the nickname Little Ford because he did for wagons what, <laughs> what Ford did for cars. What did you learn from him either directly, you know, growing up or indirectly through his legacy that you think is a lesson that is just paramount to any business owner, entrepreneur or leader? Is there anything that sticks out to you? Yeah, well, there's a lot. I mean, um, you mentioned the family gathering. So there is a, a story that's very vivid in my mind of being a little kid and being at his house. And he always kept that classic steel radio fire wagon on his front porch. And so he he had this really heavy Italian accent. Like as a kid, I found it hard to understand, you know, what he was saying. And to me, he was just this my grandpa, you know, this this old guy with an Italian accent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so he a lot of times he would uh, take his fist and bang it on that wagon that was on his front porch, front porch, and say in this Italian accent the word "strong, strong." And I just thought he was kind of a kooky old guy. But, you know, what I realized, you know, was that he was telling me in his way, like, you know, I built this thing, you know, and this thing is really strong. And it's not only a strong product, but it's a strong brand. And I think that story kind of encapsulates everything he was about. It was about building really good quality products, having beautiful design. He had a great eye for design. And even though these were kids products, you know, he always wanted to make them uh, relatable to like the coolest designs of the time, like a streamlined train or what was cool that was going on in the auto industry. Um, and he loved all of that. And so those kind of the passion for design, the passion for quality, um, those things really got baked into the DNA of, of our company. And I think in our family, you know, I'd imagine after you described him going from, you know, immigrant status to little Ford, were you old enough to notice the change? I mean, did it, how did it impact him? It could be monetarily, but in any way, right? In um, quality of life, in his focus. I'm just fascinated by that immigrant story, especially for a brand that's endured so long. Yeah. Well, he it took him a long time to achieve success. I mean, I only mm. saw him as a successful person who was, you know, in his later years. But um, it took him a long time to achieve success, and he never forgot, though, his humble roots. He was very involved with his family back in Italy. Uh, he would go back to Italy almost every year um, and visit his family and spend time with them. And um, and so he, he he had a very comfortable life, but I think by many standards, people would say it was pretty modest. Mm. Um, and he always, he never wanted to build the company into a huge company. He always thought, you know, I want to make a great product. I want to have a nice life. I want to be able to spend time with my family, uh, go back to Italy. I mean, he, he was a very grounded uh, person that was all about, you know, treating people with kindness and respect and living a good life. It's funny because right away, I'm already hearing kind of two things that if they happen today, they would be considered very entrepreneurial, very um, growth mindset. So the things like you said, the pivot, right? And then looking for new technologies, which was the stamping and lifestyle entrepreneur, like building a lifestyle business that allows you to. But when I hear you describe it, and I could be wrong, the impression I get is he didn't 
go into it thinking I'm going to write this business plan and I'm going to utilize my talents and I'm going to find a market. <laughs> you just kind yeah. of, you know, it's, it seems really like an old school entrepreneur, almost the thing I think a lot of us yearn for this truth in passion, as opposed to a lot of things it feels like today, which is just build the next app. Yeah, I mean, he didn't even he 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 couldn't have written a business plan if he wanted to. He didn't have more than a third grade education, you know. He so um, he just he was a builder. He was a maker. I mean, you would you know if you were trying to maybe jazz up the story a little, you'd say that garage was his maker space. I mean, he was just making stuff that he could make right. and then would see what would sell. Wow. Did you see yourself becoming the CEO? I mean, I know. Uh, Chief mm-hmm. Wagon Officer, but technically, <laughs> so the audience knows it is the, the head of the food chain there, but Chief Wagon Officer. Did you ever anticipate that? Was that a lifelong goal? How did you fall into that or obviously mm-hmm. get into that role? Yeah. Well, the first time I ever visited Radio Flyer was when I was five years old and my dad brought me to work with him. So this is 1974. And I remember that day like it was yesterday because I had never been to work with my dad. It was very exciting. And I remember walking into the front doors of, of the factory building and, you know, walking up the steps to the offices, holding my dad's big hand and walking around saying hello to people and going through the factory and hearing the loud sounds of the punch presses and the smell of the paint and all of these red, freshly painted red wagons were going by in the conveyor line. And to me, it just seemed like some sort of magical Rube Goldberg machine that was cranking out these shiny little red wagons and sending them out in the world. And I fell in love with it. Really, at that moment, I just fell in love with, you know, the people were so friendly. Of course, I was the, I was walking around with the boss, so they were right. friendly. Um, the, you know, this creative process of taking these, you know, raw materials like steel and rubber and paint and then turning them into this beautiful fun product that people love. Like I just, I had this very romanticized view of the company from a very early age. And as I got older and learned about my grandpa's story that I just told you, I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is the quintessential American immigrant success story. How lucky am I to be a part of that? Mm -hmm. Um, So I always thought I would want to work at the company someday. I didn't know if I would be the CEO. I didn't know if I'd be good at, at working in the company. And of course, I grew grew up working in the factory and in the warehouse. So, so by the time I was out of college, I had a really good idea of what the business was about, and I wanted to join it to see see if I could make a contribution and if it would if it would be a good match. You mentioned your dad there. Did he work there? Was he did, was he in a senior position, or did he run it at some point? Yeah, I mean, as the grand, as the son, the only son of the Italian immigrant who started this company, my yeah. dad pretty much had no choice but, right, to, right. but to work in the business. So um, that was that, that was pushed on him pretty hard at a very young age. Which, to my dad's credit, he never did that with me. He always said, "You're welcome to come into the business, but there's no pressure. You can do whatever you want." Which I think was which was a healthier way to go than how his dad handled it with him. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's where I was going, right? I wondered, okay, so is it, did it feel like the duty, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like not. Well, for him, not not for me. Not Sure. For him. Yes. For him, it was not for you. If my grandfather created something and then my dad ran it and then I ran it, how much has fear ever played a role in you as a leader? (laughs) I mean, I, I envision myself in that and I'd be like, what if I'm not, good enough? What if I can't carry on their legacy? What if I don't know how to lead a company? What What if I blow it up? Mm-hmm. 
Well, when I first started the company, I was just a member of the sales team. I had a low-level job, so it wasn't you know I, the the stakes weren't that high yet for my mm-hmm. impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. I felt very much the fact that this was a huge opportunity that had been handed to me because I was lucky enough to be born into the family that started the company, and it that that opportunity always really compelled and propelled me to want to turn it into something really great. So it was more a motivational thing and an inspirational thing than a fear-based thing. And what was it like making that that leap up to to be at the top, to run the organization that your dad and your dad's dad ran? Well, I mentioned that first time I came to the company when I was five years old, and it was this magical experience. And if I fast forward to my first day, you know, it, it, in a real job as an adult in 1992, <laughs> the feeling was was very different. Um, I was walking into a company that was really struggling at that time, and you know, every company, of course, goes through ups and downs, especially one that's been around as long as as we have. And we were in a, a serious down period. In fact, on my first week of the job, my dad said, hey, Robert, I want you to come over here and meet this guy, Jerry. He's from the bank. He's he's helping us out. And Jerry brought me in a conference room and just started yelling at me, getting red in the face saying, do you realize you guys have no cash? You guys are in a really, really bad situation. You have no cash. And finally, I just said, well, how much cash are you supposed to have? (laughs) And he he laughed at me because he's like, man, this kid is clueless. But he was a workout guy from the bank who'd been sent in because the company was was really struggling. And Mm -hmm. the core issue was that for 70 years, um, one way of doing our business had worked really well. And we had become kind of a victim of our own success where we were a manufacturer who was stamping steel things, stamping out steel things and selling them to customers at that time, like Kmart and Sears. And, um, and, uh, and we just had become an inwardly focused manufacturer. So, um, we were losing money. Uh, we weren't growing, we didn't have new product and we had a lot of people who'd been with the company for many, many years. So it was this very kind of insular culture. It wasn't of customer facing coach culture. We weren't doing market research. Um, and then within the first six months of my start date, competitors came out with plastic wagons. And I think my exact words at the time were, Oh shit, plastic wagons, because we immediately saw that they had all these features that they, you could put into a plastic wagon that you couldn't put into a steel and wood wagon. Mm. So in my early days at the company, it was we were thrown into a crisis situation that we were really just trying to survive. Was that one of the first times you'd faced serious competition? Because it seems like, I mean, again, right, it's 2020 now, so it's a lot different. But it seems like even in 1980, surely somebody was like, you know what, we can make a better wagon. Yeah, we had always faced competition. Um, one of the things that had really hurt us in this time period that I'm talking about is that we were making steel wheelbarrows in addition to wagons. So we always oh. made some other products in addition to wagons. And we were actually one of the country's largest manufacturers of wheelbarrows because they're made basically the same as a wagon. Wow. Were um, they branded Radio Flyer? Well, that was the problem. They were not branded Radio Flyer and we wow. didn't have any intellectual property on the products. You know, we didn't have any patents or anything. So our retail customers began importing uh, wheelbarrows directly from Taiwan at that time. And because we didn't have a brand built up in that category, we were basically the private label guy sure. for wheelbarrows, like for Sears Craftsman and places like that. 
Um, and we, my dad and his team, were really trying to hang in there and figure it out and keep the factory running and cover overhead and not do layoffs. Um, but ultimately, they had to exit that business, which left the company in this weakened condition I described. Did you notice a difference in the role your grandfather played, taking it from idea to a successful, well-known brand, and then the difference from your dad taking it over? Like, what was the difference in the either the execution or what your dad instilled uh, upon you about his way of running it? Yeah. Well, my dad had very many of the same qualities of my grandpa in leading the business. His his passion for quality, his passion for product development. You know, I think though he just wasn't quite as passionate about the day to day work of running a company. If if it had, I think he did a remarkable job for it not being the thing that he was super passionate about. Right. Um, but I think um, you know, if it hadn't, if his grandpa hadn't said, we, I need you to do the, or his dad, I'm sorry, hadn't said, I need you to do this. I think he would have done something else. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. And when you took over, I'm assuming you took over from him, right? Yes. You you replaced him. Imagine I'm in the boardroom. What conversations were happening at that moment as you're stepping in and you're thinking, all right, uh, the torch is mine now. Well, very quickly, my dad backed away and and gave me the reins, you know, to run the business. And I think partly that was because he, you know, was ready to move on (laughs) and partly because I was super eager and passionate to take. I was I I was always just let me take this problem off your plate. Let me take this problem off your plate. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was, you know, learning on the job and trying to figure it out as I go. But the first challenge was figuring out the plastic wagon thing. Um, but then it really caused us to start this soul searching process of asking, you know, what, why do we exist? Like, why, why does the world need radio flyer? I mean, it was clear we had existed for 70 years to stamp out wagons, but, you know, people were buying plastic wagons, you know, would, would our customers even buy plastic wagons from us? And it just became clear to me very soon that we had to get a lot more in touch with moms and and families and consumers and and understand what our brand meant to them and that's actually when we started to you know ask people about radio flyering and get these stories that i was describing to you at the beginning and they would smile and tell us about radio flyer and that i was playing outside and the sun was in my face and the wind was in my hair and and we're like oh my gosh that's why we exist it's Mm -hmm. to bring smiles and create warm memories that last a lifetime. And that became our mission. And suddenly then that unlocked all kinds of other possibilities for growth. Sometimes we would even say, just tell me about the radio flyer you have had as a kid. And of course they would tell us about their wagons, but a lot of times they would say, well, I had a radio flyer tricycle. And I'd say, and we'd, we'd ask them, well, really, what did it look like? And they'd yeah. describe it. It was red and shiny and had a bell and streamers and it was a radio flyer. But the crazy thing was we never made tricycles. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I had a similar experience. No joke. When, when I was like, oh, I'm going to have Robert on, I was like, I want to go look at all the radio flyer things we have. I know we have these two wagons and we've got this tricycle. And I went and I looked at the tricycle and it wasn't radio flyer. And it's exactly your point. I was like, wait, but I was positive it was because I <laughs> remember seeing the lettering and yeah. it's red and the same thing happened to me. Not even kidding. It was yeah, a I, Schmitt, think. I think I didn't even know they made them, I, you know, just a little trike for my, my two year old. Yeah. Pretty funny. 
Yeah, I mean, that's such a the common experience. And it's because, you know, those design cues of that classic retro style tricycle and the fact that we're still around and probably the company that made whatever tricycle the person remembers isn't around anymore. People mm-hmm. were just layering our brand onto that tricycle. And so we said, well, let's <laughs> let's make that product. Right. And, yeah. and then we, we started to see, OK, anything with wheels for kids, you know, anything tricycle scooters and. And then we just started to really expand our product line into those categories. And that's what really started to fuel our growth. Let's take a quick break for this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. I got my first cell phone with one of the big wireless providers mm, 20, 25 years ago. And I've honestly hated my monthly bill ever since. But then I discovered there's another option that could give me the premium service I'm used to at a fraction of the cost. I could cut my wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month and save hundreds of dollars by switching to Mint Mobile. For anyone out there who's looking to save without sacrificing service, switching to Mint Mobile is a no-brainer. For customers that hate their wireless bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile can pass significant savings on to you. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus crazy fast 4G LTE. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile today and get premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile dot com slash smart that's mintmobile.com slash smart cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash smart and now back to the episode that's very cool and you know i can imagine that even giving momentum giving passion to the people working there uh just reigniting i mean just going from okay we we can innovate again we don't have to just be stamping out the, the same thing we've been doing for 100 years or whatever it is and and really propel people to think differently yes definitely when you think about a wagon i i think about a lot of things that people build or create so like we have a podcast and oftentimes i'll go you know what there's a million podcasts and of the million you know, 10% are interview based. Am I really worth it? Or am I just adding to the noise? Like, do I need to be the one interviewing or, or should I just turn it over to somebody who I deem might be better or be able to get like the biggest movie star, this and that. And I'm curious to, to people like myself or others who aren't creating like the only thing, the only widget that exists. What did you find? And what did you go to as, yeah, we're creating a wagon, but we have this brand and we have a duty to to create. How do you think about the fact that somebody else could do it? And, and as your business is failing, how did you maintain the drive to want to keep going as opposed to say, maybe our time was up, we'll let somebody else do it? It's just, it was my love for the company, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I just felt that the history of the company, my grandpa's story, what Radio Flyer has meant to people for generations and and the fact that I love it so much. I mean, that's what got me through the really dark days. I mean, I, 
I remember one specific meeting very early on during those tough times at Toys R Us, which was our biggest customer at the time. And um, we had we were presenting a, a new wagon that I was really excited about because there was a consumer insight that we got where people were calling our customer service number asking for wagons with big air tires. And we had never done that before. Mm -hmm. So, so we mocked up this wagon with air tires and we thought it looked great and it pulled easier. And so I'm in there and I'm pitching it to Toys R Us to our buyer. And then the buyer's boss, Marty Fogelman barges into the room and says, you know, to the buyer without looking at me, like, who are you meeting with? And she said, well, we're meeting with Radio Flyer. They're showing us a new wagon. And Marty says, Radio Flyer, they're not even on the first page of my vendor report anymore. Why are you wasting your time with these guys? Wow. You know, and, and so That's aggressive. Yeah, the, most, the most important person or our most important customer thought we were irrelevant. And, wow. And it was just, you know, I remember just laying in bed that night thinking, oh, my God, we are going to go out of business. It's that old family business adage, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeves in three generations. You know, yeah. the first generation makes it, the third generation loses it. And yeah. I just thought we can't, I, this is too, this is too special. This is too precious. We, we have to figure it out. So I was just, I had this really deep passion and commitment, and I really felt like it was my purpose to save Radio Flyer, as, as maybe egotistical as that may sound. Yeah, well, I mean, you would hope the person in charge has that. What, <laughs> what advice would you give to those that are in those inflection points, right? Whether it be an entrepreneur or a leader at a company where, you know, the time's getting tough, there's other people, the competition's encroaching, maybe our technology or what we used to do. I think that's a big one. What we used mm -hmm. to do is no longer enough. Where do you go from there? Well, I think those those that's always where you find the truth. I think is is in those really high pressure crisis moments, and you find the truth of how people act. You find the truth of how people lead. You know, I think it reveals the true character of people and things. So I think that's just viewing it that way. That this is a, a crisis. That's a giving me a lens to look at this thing way more closely than maybe I would have normally. And then I think it's a soul, kind of a soul searching, you know, what's our purpose and what's my purpose. And if, if you're, if you feel super fired up about doing it, then do it. If you don't probably best to do something else. Hmm. That's a good point. And you don't hear it too often, right? I think we get this message so often that's like, Oh, you got to burn the boats and go at it all the way. <laughs> but Really, and I just heard something the other day about success being this way. It's like, really, if it's not what you want, you don't have to grind through it. Like, there's not, you know, nobody's sitting on the other end being like, okay, good job. You killed yourself over it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say to, to everyone here, you know, what we're doing, I mean, we're not you know, not, we're not doing brain surgery. We're not in an operating room saving people's lives. I feel like what we do is really important because mm -hmm. we provide these products that bring joy to families. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we have to put it in context of impact to society and yeah. be, be realistic about it. You know, you mentioned when the plastic wagons came in and you, you, you said, we got to figure out what's our purpose. Like, why do we even exist? I think that's getting a lot of coverage. I mean, I know Simon Sinek, he, he really reinvigorated this idea of why. So I think a lot of companies know that, but mm -hmm. I, I still don't know if they, if, if a lot of companies or a lot of people themselves on their own life purpose really dig into it. What advice would you give and what did you all do to uncover here is our purpose? Here's what's going to get us back to where we want to go. Here's going to light us up to go to work every day. 
Like, how do you discover that purpose mm-hmm. or rediscover? Well, we went through a year-long process um, as a company, which we had never done before. Like, this was part of the cultural transformation. We never had company meetings. Um, you know, we we didn't have anything like that. We didn't have a vision, mission, values statement written. Mm. You know, we had no structure. Um, so we we engaged in a process of just internally. Um, I facilitated it with managers where we would we started to have a monthly company meeting and we had those easels with big post-it pads on them and we had markers and we just asked questions like, when you say you work at Radio Flyer, what do people say to you? Um, when you started working here, what was it like? What was the, how did you feel? You know, what are you proud of about working here? What don't, what's, what do we need to change? Um, mm-hmm. And so we did this. It was a very iterative process. We scribed all these things. Uh, by the end of it, our lunchroom was plastered with all these big post-its. And because we're a legacy brand and we've been around for a while, there was a lot of gold to mine in there. And it's a lot of the things I was describing to you, the stories and the smiles and those and love. The theme of love just came out huge. The fact that people love Radio Flyer. They were with people they love when they played with it. Mm. So. So those themes came really, really clear and rose to the surface. And that that was how we started to articulate our mission and our values. And those then became really the guideposts for everything we do. I can't help but think about the fact that what this conversation is highlighting for me is the power of a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, like, of course, we all know that. But when you're talking about I don't know, phones. Let's take phones, for example. Like people love Apple phones. It's an easy brand to use or or Macs mm-hmm. or whatever. But a lot of the reason is the functionality is just incredible for, for mm-hmm. some, right? When you go back to a wagon, I'm sure uh, it's easy enough to copy or come close to, but it's all about that brand. How do you think about brand? How do you focus on it? How do you recommend others to think about their brand and focus on it? Well, we've always believed that our brand is built by consumers talking about our products. I mean, this isn't revolutionary, but you yeah. know, we, we don't do advertising. You know, we, mm. we, we don't do commercials. We, and so the, the way we have revitalized the brand and stayed relevant is really through our product innovation. And we do two key things when we're trying to innovate products. The first thing we do is we spend a ton of time watching our customers. And I, and I'm emphasizing watching because we don't do these for, we don't do focus groups. We go in people's homes, we go in their backyards, we're with them in their garage. We ask the mom to put the wagon in the back of the car and we have our team taking pictures and videotaping. And mm-hmm. we're constantly looking for the pain points, the problems. And these, again, these aren't huge problems, but if we can solve a problem for a mom who's got a, a toddler and a baby and they're they're trying to she's trying to put her wagon in the car more easily, if we can solve that in a with some really beautiful design, um, they love us even more. They're just like, oh my God, I love this wagon. It's a lifesaver. Those are the kind of things you hear from a mom. So we do that watching of our customers and then we prototype like crazy. We have an incredible prototype shop here where our team can make anything. And we prototype an experiment like crazy and we try out this stuff in the field. We go back and say to the mom, try this. How does this work? And 
and we just do this. We're just really, really rigorous about it. I think that's the thing people really underestimate is that you have to do it all the time consistently and you have to be your, your toughest own critic of your products. And, and I think that's really how we have built a brand uh, over time. I mean, our, you know, people talk about net promoter score. You know, we have a very, very high net promoter score because of that. So I think to, for us, that's how we've, how we've always viewed, viewed building the brand. Have you ever read or have you heard of Clayton Christensen? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I taught a class that his material was front and center about innovation. And it's really that. It's that that experiential innovation, like getting with the customer. And I'll, I'll never forget the phrase he uses, crawl into their lives. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think about it, right? Like, the story I mentioned, we got three kids. We're trying to get them to the beach. We've got bags. They all want to be in this wagon and like, and there's, it's sunny out. We're worried about sunburn, but luckily it had the little roof thing on it. And the, I remember that actually the, it turned really well. The wheels turned well. Those are the things I think that do make a difference. So if you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, by the way, if you're struggling to get your kids down there, just throw them in a wagon or you need a better wagon type thing. That's really what you're saying builds that brand over time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that kind of that, that that process I just described is really what led us to create the Tesla Model S for kids that we launched a few years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, because we were looking at this category of uh, you know electric cars for kids that have been around forever and they're really fun. You know, the Ford F one fifty or the Barbie Jeep. You know, yeah, um, awesome. but as as we started talking to parents, they said, you know, my kids love these; they're really fun. But every time they go to ride them, the battery is dead, and it takes forever to charge these batteries because it's the traditional lead acid battery. And so our our product development team said, oh, we could solve that problem if we put a lithium ion battery in the car. But nobody had ever done that because it it's quite expensive to do that for a kid's product. Mm-hmm. Um, so then our head of product development said, well, if we're going to do lithium ion, we should make it into a Tesla. Well, this was like seven years ago. So it was quite wow. before Tesla was what it is today. And uh, and so we created this whole Tesla experience, experience <laughs> miniaturized for kids. So not only did we do the Tesla car, but we uh, had the whole website where you can pick your color, you can customize it, you can put your kid's name on the license plate. And no one had ever done that before in this category. And so when we went to Tesla to pitch them on the idea, they said, oh my gosh, you totally got what Tesla's all about. You're not just trying to sell this to you know a mass market retailer like uh, like that would be like the car dealership, I guess in, in this yeah. um, and uh, and it's just been a it's been a huge success and a lot of fun. I'm glad you're talking about innovation because I, I had written down just the word innovation because I wanted to talk about it because you know Radio Flyer doesn't strike me as a, a company that would focus on it. you know and of mm-hmm. course you have to to stay relevant. And I went to the website, I looked at all the different products. I was like, wow, it's it's a lot more than even I would have anticipated. Mm-hmm. I'm curious though, what was it like transitioning into a company that had to be innovative away from a company that could get by on what it had always done? It, it was very slow going. I mean, it took years and years and it took um, hiring a whole new team that could do it. Uh, mm-hmm. We really didn't have a product development team uh, when I joined the company. And um, so we one of the things we did early on as we started to hire more talent was hire engineers and designers that could really ramp up our product development process. 
Um, so that was huge. And we also, you know, had to just try a lot of things and we've had a lot of product failures. I mean, yeah. we've come out with a lot of products that have not sold. And, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years now. And one of the things I've learned after uh, launching with the team, you know, hundreds of, of products is I really don't know what's going to sell until we get that real product out into the market and a real consumer is having to make the decision if they're going to buy it or not. Hmm. Um, so one of the ways that we view product development is, you know, we use the metaphor of we just have to plant a lot of seeds. We have to try a lot of things, get a lot of products into the market, see what works, and then just, you know, really chase the stuff that works. Yeah. What has been the hardest part of innovation for you? Because so many people try it or it's such a a fantastic buzzword, but it feels really daunting, especially Mm -hmm. for the smaller businesses, right? Like imagine I'm an Etsy shop or who knows what, right? Um, And I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need to change. Something's not working. I'm going out of business. Revenue's declining. COVID's hitting me. I need to innovate. It's tough. So what was difficult for you? And then how do you recommend overcoming some of those innovation difficulties? Well, I think you have to be in it for the long haul. It's it's because especially when we were starting from a place of being, you know, where we weren't making money, we didn't have high profit margins, you know, we didn't have the money to spend on innovation. So in the early years, we were coming out with maybe one new product a year. So if you come out with one new product here and then that fails and, you know, you're like, oh, my God, what, why are we spending all this money on these new products? You know, but um, I just knew that we had to keep coming out with more new products to see what would succeed. And then we when we had a success like that tricycle I described, then it's like, OK, we could see like this is successful. We can make money on this. We can use the money we're making from this to come out with more new products to hire maybe one or two more people. Um, but it took years. I mean, the turnaround uh, took over a decade for sure until we wow. really started humming and had the right people on the team. The other thing is with getting the right people on the team, you know, it's like I had to, you know, I, I had to hire three different people to lead product development before I found the right one. Um, so that that's a whole other part of experimenting and finding the right fit and the people who are really going to take the company forward. Um, so it's just, it's a long haul, but if you're really committed to it and you're learning from your mistakes, it will happen. Uh, but you, you just have to really stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the difficulty, even finding the right people as the, the head of this organization, what do you look for in leaders and people who are going to take the company where it needs to go? What are some either attributes or skills or things that you have noticed really differentiate the high performers from those that don't make it? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we look for, if we're hiring someone that we don't know and we're hiring someone from the outside, um, Mm -hmm. we look for examples of, of past success, you know, really concrete examples of, of past success. And I usually find it's, it's not, it's never a sure thing, but the more you're talking with somebody and they're telling you about past success and they're really getting detailed about it, um, that's usually a really good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing we have done to try to build a, a talented team is to try to not hire leaders f- from the outside. We've really over time gone to trying to uh, grow them from the inside. And one of the things that I wish I had started doing the day I started working here was building an internship program because now 
Uh, we have a really robust internship program and 25% of the current team was an intern. Um, and a number of our managers were interns. And, you know, the beauty of that is you get, to, everybody gets to try each other out and, yeah. and you can really find the great talent. Um, or we've hired people as an individual contributor, like as an engineer on the product development team who may be now leading operations. So, um, but I think the the key, one of the real keys to success here is being hungry for feedback. Um, we really believe like, like feedback is a gift. Mm -hmm. This is a really feedback intense culture. We're very open and honest and transparent with each other. And I find that you can usually very early on see people who really don't want the feedback. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Those people don't work out here. I love that feedback is a gift, something that I've spent a lot of time teaching how to give feedback, how to accept it. But I think it's still difficult, right? Even yes. for myself, um, as somebody who, <laughs> I mean, the amount of evaluations in the past six years, I've probably had uh, 5,000 people single-handedly <laughs> Wow. Right? So <laughs> That's yeah, I've, a gone lot. Through, I've, I've gone through uh, the trial, but it still can be difficult, especially when it's like right to your face, you know, even, mm -hmm. even if it's honest and, and good. Um, what do you recommend to people listening on how to give and receive and or you can take it either way, receive feedback? Mm -hmm. Well, two, two of the tools we use a lot. One is 360 feedback, anonymous 360. I think that's absolutely key because you have to get that anonymous feedback if you want the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one, that's that's a that's a more planned thing. But I think just the day-to-day -day feedback, um, we use the, the feedback feed forward format that's taught by Marshall Goldsmith. Um, and it's just a little twist on, on feedback. Instead of giving it on past behavior, um, first of all, we say, you know, everyone needs to own getting their feedback. You can't be waiting around to get it. You have to be asking for it. And the way we want people to ask for it here is to say, you know, going forward, how can I do blank better? And it's a lot easier for the person giving you feedback to give you feedback in the future tense because you can change that, you know, and everybody wants to help somebody get better as mm -hmm. opposed to feeling like you're kind of beating somebody up uh, for something they did in the past. So mm -hmm. we find that that's a really effective way to frame it and to unlock maybe some feedback you wouldn't get otherwise. That's a really good point. I think having those systems in place help. Because a lot of people are like, we like feedback. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> what do you do? Oh, we're yeah. just open. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know we only have a few minutes left, but there's a couple of kind of more random questions, or I was just curious. I mean, I got the the head of Radio Flyer on on the call here. So one <laughs> is, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite Radio Flyer product at the moment? You know, at the moment, my favorite product is the ultimate go-kart. This is a product that we launched last year, and it's an electric battery-powered go-kart for kids three to eight years old. And uh, it's, it looks like kind of a retro go-kart you would have had as a kid. You know, it's a steel frame, and it's got three speeds. It goes up to eight miles an hour, which is pretty fast. And the mm -hmm. rear, it's got these big rear wheels that are slick, so you can slide out on it. And we launched this thing last year, and it's just a really fun product. But the reason it's my favorite now is because uh, during the pandemic, while people have been cooped up at home, they have been buying so many of this go-kart, and they're having so much fun with it. We're getting all these great stories and little video clips of kids who are you know, cooped up at home, but they're 
flying around the cul-de-sac or their driveway with this go-kart. And it's just been so fun to see that we're kind of, you know, we've been a bright spot in that way to people during this time. Yes. Like you said, go-kart. Okay. So I just Googled it and I'm uh-huh. like, all right, I think I might have to get one for my five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, it's so fun. Is it? Uh, yes. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's right. called the ultimate go-kart. It's the, the ultimate. ultimate. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, Radio Fire Ultimate Go-Kart 24-volt outdoor ride-on toy. There it is. You got oh, it. I love it. Might be making a purchase coming up here. Um, <laughs> where do you see Radio Flyer going? Like, you know, both as a company, but really I'm asking you, look into the future. What are some cool products that uh, parents, myself included, can can be looking out for? Or what are some themes you see maybe arrive, arising? Yeah, I think big picture, we're all about outdoor active play. So anything that kids can play with outside, we think is fair game for how can we do something different and better? That's always what we're asking ourselves when we're entering a new category of products that we haven't been in before. Um, but, you know, going back to wagons, it's this is actually one of the most exciting times in wagons because we have so many new wagons in development. And the, the the ones that are really cool right now are ones that are, we call them stroller wagons because you can pull it like a wagon, you can push it like a stroller, but it's got all these features that parents are just telling us they absolutely love that make it more convenient. If they all fold up, you can put them in your car, just like a stroller. And we always hear from parents that, you know, my stroller is essential. Like I, my stroller is like a tool. I need this to get the groceries done. I need this for these other things. But you know, my kid gets tired of the stroller and they view the wagon as fun. When they see us pulling out the wagon, they know we're going to the park or we're going to the zoo or we're going somewhere fun. So we're kind of combining, you know, the, the tool part of what a parent needs in a stroller and then the fun part of a wagon for kids. And They've just been doing really, really well. So it's it's really been fun to see that. And there's a lot of innovation on the products themselves, like the way they fold up, the way they latch, things like that. Yeah. And we all know, all parents know, like those things actually matter when you're dealing with two or God forbid, <laughs> more than two little maniacs, you know, like doing things <laughs> with one hand and you're spilling stuff and you got to find a place for your own, like you know, wine, drink or whatever. I mean, trust me, I, I've, I've found all the little spots I could hide things in my, in my kid's wagon. We'll go well, out there, for a, there's we'll more, to the park. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's oh, yeah. even more spots to hide stuff in these. There is. I love it. I love it. <laughs> You'll love it. It's great. Well, Robert, I've really enjoyed having you on. I mean, like I said, Radio Flyer is such a cool company. It's cool to learn. You guys are, are really changing. I mean, you've got so many products. I don't even think people would be aware of that, that are going on here. So it's fun to see the innovation you're applying to an older technology and older brand, but making sure it continues to go. So we all have those memories going forward. Well, thanks so much, Chris. It's been really fun talking with you. Absolutely. So, you know, we can go find you at radioflyer.com. We all know that anything else that that we should be aware of coming up that you want to let us know about as we go, uh, go look for the new radio flyer things to buy. I don't think so. Yeah. These, these, I'll tell you, these, um, I'm just Googling it right now. I just went on here. The discovery stroller wagon with canopies. It says yes. right now it's out of stock. I don't know. Yeah. But, man, <laughs> that looks cool. Is that the one that's like coming or you're, you're adding yeah. more to them or something? Uh, well, that's, that's one that's out there that it's just sold out because it's been doing so well, but we have, we're following it up with even, we're moving up too in price as we add more features, which has mm-hmm. been really nice, you know, for the sales side of it. For sure. 
That's awesome. All right, Robert. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing your background and these stories with us. Thank you so much, Chris. Guess who? It's Chris. How weird is this? I haven't recorded an outro in five years, six years, seven. I don't know. You remember the good old days when John and I used to record interviews together? That would be fun. Although, I don't even know if he'd be able to do it anymore. That's a skill set that I think has long since dried up for him. I'm kidding, John. As you edit this, don't you worry. It's just a joke. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Robert Passan. A few things to note. If you're interested in free coaching, talking about coaching, being part of a new project that I'm doing, there's no sale here. I just want to highlight, okay? Reach out to me, chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Just say, interested in the coaching thing. That's it, okay? Also, if you want to ask our guests a question, you want to get ad-free episodes, you want to have a direct line to John and I and our guests for as little as $2 a month, which is insane, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I don't know what John usually does on these outros. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time on Smart People Podcast. Tell a friend. We'll see if Chris hears this. Hello from the beach, and we'll see you all next episode. Mm -hmm.